What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I'm your host, Gavin J. Gallagher, and on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously in your mind and in the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset, your behavior, take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. So here we are on episode 38. Last week, we were speaking with Mr. Jason Greystone, and uh, it's been a very, very popular episode. I've just been watching the metrics for my podcast, and I can see that it is one of the more popular ones. It's already eclipsed the one that I did the week before when I was just back from my um, foreign travel, and I was talking about just having to close a deal when uh, when you're abroad. And um, with Jason, we were talking about kind of alternative investments to property. We were talking about some of the strategies that he's adopted and um, and basically the grind that he put in in order to kind of create the financial freedom that he has today, that he enjoys. And then we also had a brief discussion on fraud and all the kind of imitators out there. And I, I went into some detail about my own stuff. So this week is going to be a little bit different. Uh, I'm talking about starting out as a property investor and leveling up. Um, but, but before we go there, I thought I would just ask you guys, um, how many of you are on Clubhouse? And uh, this is a, uh, some of you might be wondering what on earth is Gavin talking about? But um, a few of you, I'm sure, will know exactly what I'm talking about. So Clubhouse is this new app that is currently only available on iPhone, but it is taking the, um, certainly taking the property world by storm. I think it's taking pretty much everywhere by storm. And so I joined just a couple of days ago. I think it was like Tuesday I joined and um, and I kind of like had no idea about it until I was on it. And it's just incredible how quickly it's growing. And the level of engagement is just insane. It's off the charts. And so to, to those of you who have no idea, it's so it's this new app. It's iPhone only at the moment. They are working on a Android version, but it's going to be a couple of weeks or months before that's out. They are also currently only in a beta version. And the beta version is, you know, it's kind of an early stage and um, so at the moment it's an invite only you can't just go in and sign up because i think it would crash all of their servers and things like that that they have so what they've been doing is allowing a person to join and then you get an invite and you can kind of invite other people now as it turns out i actually currently have for whatever reason i have five invites available to me so if anyone listening here today is interested i have some invites and so just you know connect with me and uh, assuming I still have them, I'll be happy to go and uh, connect you up. But I, I expect it won't be long before we're all on this because um, it does seem that a lot of people are joining very, very quickly. So what exactly is it? Well, it is kind of it's a basically a live voice app. And what I mean by that is it's a kind of mix of like a podcast, but with the benefit of it being live and so therefore you have all the interactivity engagement that goes with a live conversation so imagine you are listening to me here speaking away to you but if you have a question you can actually put your hand up and actually stop me mid-sentence and and ask that question and get an answer like live back and so because of that it is super super highly engaging 
And um, what, what I mean by that is, I'll give you an example. So I listen to podcasts a lot in my car. And if I'm driving it to work or if I'm going anywhere, I'll be listening to a podcast. But when I get out of the car, I take the key out of the ignition and the podcast stops wherever that, um, where when the key pulls out, that's the point where it pauses the podcast. But with Clubhouse, the conversation is, it's live. So it keeps it going. So as soon as I pull the key out of the ignition, the uh, the phone suddenly switches on and it's the conversation continues on the phone. And so rather than you kind of getting out and your podcast has stopped, you're getting out and you're continuing to listen. And I find myself bringing it into the house, bringing it into the office. Um, and I, in fact, I've had it on for, for half the day here now. And it's just because the, inter- the conversation is so interesting. It's like being at a conference. And so I do think it's actually a very, potentially very disruptive app. And I've been listening to it now for a couple of days. I've I've actually had conversations with Rob Moore. I don't know if you guys follow Rob Moore, but he's he's kind of an influencer in the property sort of circle. Um, I also was on, well, I, I didn't get to engage with Grant Cardone, but I was on one of his talks and he was chatting away live. I've also been on with Daniel Priestley. I don't know if you guys know Daniel, but I did a thing with Daniel last year and um, all of these guys, I mean, all these big influencers are spending hours and hours on the app themselves because at the moment it is basically a land grab. And what this is, is um, it, this is essentially the same as being on Twitter back in 2006 or whenever Twitter came out. And that was the time when Gary Vaynerchuk went all in and would spend something like eight hours a day on Twitter. And in that time, he amassed like a million followers because he was so engaged in the whole thing. And so people see this as happening again and this being potentially one of these disruptive apps that kind of takes over and, you know, becomes huge in its own right, you know, like similar to Facebook or, or Snapchat or any of these things. And so obviously the early players that go in there that get like super, super engaged will attract hundreds and hundreds of followers very quickly. And I've seen that myself. I kind of asked a couple of questions when I was up on stage with Rob Moore and um, I kind of just gave my spiel and, you know, asked some questions. And just by being on the stage, I picked up like 60 or 70 followers in just a few minutes. And um, you don't see that like on Twitter, you pick up like a a follower a day kind of a thing. So this is potentially very, very um, good for anyone who's trying to grow a business and wants to kind of increase their leads and things like that. And uh, I just thought I'd mention it because I am thinking about how I could possibly use it for this for this podcast and um, and different things. And there's actually one room I've been following during the week called, I think they call it the power of social media. And it's actually been running for 60 hours, this room now. And what's kind of interesting, it's like a live conference and there's all of these influencers. And I suppose you could call them, if you were in a conference, these would be speakers, but they call them moderators on the, um, on the app. And, um, and because it's a global audience, You've got guys in, say, Asia getting up, going for a couple of hours, and then guys in Europe and the UK and stuff like that, they wake up and they start and they go on and they kind of carry it on. And so it's like a relay race around the world and the guys are passing the baton on as the sun rises and then America a few hours later and then it goes around the world again. And so this thing has been going on now for a couple of days, nonstop, 
And um, it's just fascinating how this is all coming together. And I really do think it is potentially damaging to other platforms because just speaking my own personal experience here is that I have been on it, you know, for hours now for, for this weekend. I have it on just in the background kind of um, I'm listening to it kind of like as if it's a radio that's just switched on and, and never gets switched off. And uh, I haven't been on any of the other social media apps or to by any means closer, um, like close to that amount of time. So um, interesting. What it really is very interesting. And there's a couple of listeners who I know are into the event management space. And uh, one in particular I'm thinking of right now, he'll know exactly who I'm talking about. And um, it, I actually think that this app potentially replaces live events. And so I think it's very important that people in the, in the kind of the live event business look at this very, very closely because there's no need to travel to a venue. Um, you don't need to pay tickets, basically, to go and hear someone like Grant Cardone and, and Rob Moore speak on the same stage. And like, how costly would it be for you to put on an event that Grant Cardone and Rob Moore were speaking on the same stage? You know, it would be hundreds of thousands to go and book those speakers and pay for their travel and everything. And you can just create a room and invite them in. And OK, it's likely that they'll be the ones creating the room and stuff. But I've seen a lot of guys out there that have just because they're so sort of keen and eager and stuff like that, they are actually getting in there and they're sort of networking and suddenly they're becoming kind of names on Clubhouse. Um, anyway, so look, as I mentioned, I have a couple of invites. Anyone who's interested, just send me a message using social media. And uh, assuming I've still got one, I will be happy to uh, invite you in. Now, remember, it is iPhone only. And um, I am actually going to what the best thing, actually, by the way, before you go and start calling me and asking me for invites and stuff like that, is to actually go on the Clubhouse and register your preferred username now. And so if you just type in joinclubhouse.com, it'll bring you to the um, App Store. You can download the app and then you just go in and you say whatever name. In my case, it's at Gavin J. Gallagher, which is, you know, the same handle that I use for pretty much everything. And uh, I went in, I registered that name. I thought it'd be a couple of days before I would get in. And then suddenly Daniel Priestley actually just admitted me straight away. So I was immediately in on the app. And that's probably what will happen with most of you once you've registered your name. You don't, it doesn't take long before you actually are admitted. And so... I am actually going to be doing a live Q&A um, today, being Monday, the day that this podcast is uh, uploaded. And I'm probably going to do one on Wednesday. I am going to do one on Wednesday and I am going to do one on Friday. So that's three days this week at one o'clock uh, UK time. And uh, if anyone, I'm actually probably going to invite a couple of guests up, but we'll be talking about a lot of different things. We're talking about commercial real estate investing we'll be talking about um i guess mindset and you know borrowing money and raising capital and all that kind of stuff all right so let's get into the next part of the show today i am going to be talking about starting out as a property investor and leveling up and a lot of this is actually the reason that i brought this up as a topic today is because i'm actually in the process of writing my book and I have spent hours and hours going over all of the different topics that I want to bring up. And so this is all kind of fresh in my mind. And I actually thought I would ask you guys, you listeners out there, a favor. 
Um, if you could please submit any questions you have on property investing or developing or raising money or whatever it is about the property area that you'd like me to answer, what I would actually do is um, I'll be actually taking your question and putting it into the book. So anyone who asks a good question, and by the way, there is no such thing as a silly question. A lot of people might be thinking, oh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to ask that because it might be obvious to Gavin or something like that. There's no such thing as a silly question. Ask it away and I'll be happy to kind of answer it. And I'll answer it either in the Facebook group or I'll answer it on um, Clubhouse. But what I will be doing is um, if it's relevant to a chapter that I've created or whatever, I will be putting it into the book and I'll actually be putting your name next to it. So you'll be memorialized in my book. And so anyone who's interested in that, I would be really uh, grateful if you kind of social media your questions to me. Um, probably best to do it through the Facebook group or whatever. If But if you're not on the Facebook group, just find me, Gavin J. Gallagher. You'll find me pretty much everywhere. So as I've been putting the book together, uh, I actually the way one of the ways that I've sort of learned to do it from speaking to a lot of different people is to get index cards or speech cards, you know, the little kind of cards that you have and you can write on them. And what you do is you pick you, you write a different topic on every single one and then you kind of can lay them out. And you can put them into groups and stuff and then you can say, right, there's one chapter and there's another chapter. And I've already done a lot of them. I think I probably have like a hundred of these things at this stage and I've been going through them. And I've been, what I did was I actually took out my, the notes from all the previous episodes and uh, of this, of this podcast. And I've gone back to episode, you know, six and episode nine and episode 10. And I've just been going through it. And it's really interesting to sort of see the progress of the podcast. Um, and um, one of the things, though, that I'm learning to do, and this is one of the reasons why I'm asking you guys, if you can help me with the various um, questions and stuff, is that in order to um, become, in order to write a book that is interesting for, for everybody who's interested in this particular topic, something I didn't realize, and it's again, it's kind of like going back to that episode I did on cognitive bias. When you have a certain type of personality or bias, you don't realize that other things, other people have you know, different views and whatever. And it turns out that there are two types of readers out there. There's people who prefer analytical, logical, kind of structured work versus people who prefer kind of emotional connection and energy type writing. And one doesn't necessarily suit the other. And so you've got to make sure you do a little bit of everything to kind of cover it all. And then the other side of it is that there are people who like big picture thinking, concepts, perspectives, all of that kind of stuff. And then there are other people who are much more practical and they're into the details, they're into actionable steps and stuff. And that also you have to be very careful to include in the book, because otherwise what you'll find is people who write a book that's just, you know, all writing, for example, it does not suit somebody. Certainly like me, I, I've been looking through all these different books that I have looking for a kind of style that I prefer. And I like when there's, you know, boxes that have kind of like different topics and graphs and illustrations and all of that kind of stuff that can kind of give you a break from the text. And um, so I've been looking at all the different things and believe it or not, the, the, the nine different things that you have to kind of cover in a book are trends, ideas, maxims or metaphors, um, business models, 
and not in the form of writing, but actually in the form of circles, squares, graphs, grids, charts, whatever. Then you got to get into explanations of, you know, the point that you're making. You're going to tell stories about struggles and victories and, you know, your insights along your own journey. And then you do case studies and timelines and data, you know, kind of and statistics. And then you have actionable tips, tasks, next things to do, next steps and all that. And then you also have to put in something on the struggle. And that is the, you know, the pain and mistakes that have been made and things like that over the years. And when you add that all together, you should have a pretty good book. So <laughs> you can imagine it's actually created a lot of work for me to, to write this book, knowing all of that stuff. And so I've been going through my old, um, my old podcast notes here. And as I take them out, I'm looking at them and I'm kind of saying, OK, let's let's look back to episode number nine, for example. And I talked all about the mindset and I was talking about, you know, identifying deals and how, you know, there's, I mean, money. Why? Why would you invest in the first place? Why not? You know, why invest in property? Why not invest in the stock market? Like last week's guest, Jason, talks about investing in the stock market and how he prefers it. But one of the reasons why I would invest in property first is because I kind of believe it can make my money go further. And by that I mean that if you go to a bank and say, "I want to buy." £20,000 worth of um, shares in this company, how much money will you let me borrow against that? Uh, it's highly unlikely that the bank will lend you a huge amount of money against that. Of course, you can go and you can, you know, you can set up certain types of bank accounts that do permit you to leverage. But um, banks have just this different attitude towards that kind of risk. And the fact that you could go in and borrow, you know, say another £20,000 and the share price could fall and you'd be stuck there. And so that is something that they're they're kind of reluctant to lend against, certainly traditional banking in that in that regard. Whereas if you've got a property, you can go in and you can say, I've got 20 grand, how much will you lend me? And it's quite possible that you'll be able to borrow 80,000 or, or sort of 65,000 anyway and go out and buy a significantly more expensive property than the 20,000 that you have. And once you have the ability to do that, then you're into leveraging your returns. Now, you can also leverage your losses, but this is why I go into the, the whole mindset around being very careful, patient, discipline, all that kind of stuff. Make sure you do your due diligence. But if you have £20,000 and you put it on, say, stocks and shares and you double your money, that's 20 turns into 40, obviously. But if you've bought a property for 75,000 or say or 85,000 and you double your money, your money, your, your property has gone up to 160,000 or 170,000, but you still bought it with 20,000. So now your 20,000 has added to your wealth in the form of, say, 60 or 80,000 of of gain. And that's where it's interesting. Now, of course, there are risks as well. But when you're starting out, you kind of want to get that head start and so that's where property is really really helpful and the other side to it that i like about it is that and i one of the other things that i do cover in some of the earlier episodes is the difference between active and passive investments and what suits you what what, what is your mindset around do you want to buy investments and just sit on them and do nothing and let the, the market you know 
continue to rise because it does rise. The market rises and it lifts your assets up in value. But if you're prepared to roll up your sleeves and get active, you can sort of fast forward that whole process and you can go and buy a property that's in, say, rundown condition, do it up, renovate it and then refinance it and then you've got to go and do the whole thing again, which is the B or 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 method. And that's the the buy um, ref- rehab or refurbish refinance and then uh, rent and then refinance. And um, so there's all these different strategies. I'm going to be covering all of that in the book and some of the maxims that I kind of came up with. You might remember those of you who listened to my stuff, you know that I've gone into the three E's. Well, actually, I'm expanding that to the four E's. And um, and obviously the four E's, the, the, the three E's were the ego, the emotion and the economy. Those are the three things that I always said that would sink you if you weren't paying attention to them. And but there's actually another one. And it's it's not something that you can necessarily pay attention to, but it's something that can sink you. And that is an event. And by an event, you know, it could be anything. It could be like, well, COVID is an event. You might say that the um 9-11 attacks, they were an event and it wasn't necessarily the economy that, you know, was shrinking because of the um, economy just happening, happening to kind of reach the top of its supply demand curve or whatever. It was the fact that this event took place and it caused everyone to panic. Same as COVID and things like that. So obviously events, that's a major, a major one. And when you're in the process of buying a property, you you know, you have to obviously think about the fact that an event could come out of nowhere and could throw a spanner in the works. And so you should always just be a little bit careful about that kind of stuff. Anyway, let's get into the next part of today's discussion, and that is on leveling up. And um, by that, I mean, you know, moving up the scale of in, in terms of the size of the investments, of the assets, of the developments that you're taking on and that you're going out and this requires a gradual mindset mindset and knowledge shift um when you when you start out as a developer as um, or as an investor you're going to start out with like most people you're probably going to buy a you know residential property it's going to be a, a buy to let you're going to buy it you're going to sit on it for a couple of years, you're going to get the income and you're going to get the capital appreciation, hopefully, and you graduate then to doing that a second time and and so on. Now, people who are active as opposed to being kind of passive investors, they can come out of it in a slightly more aggressive approach. And, you know, this B or 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 strategy that people have where they buy, uh, refurbish rent and refinance property, that obviously frees up capital in kind of a more you know, rapid sort of fashion so you can kind of turn over your cash quickly, quickly and keep on going and going. That's a great methodology um, to adopt uh, if you are in a rush and you want to kind of move quicker. And so people have done that and, um, and have amassed quite large portfolios quite quickly. And as you start putting more and more sort of, um, well, first of all, your confidence bills, um, your reputation gets better as well. You start understanding exactly what you're doing and you can systemize. Once you're able to systemize things, it's an awful lot easier because then you can start sort of assigning tasks to other people that maybe work for you. And once you've got a decent enough cash flow, you can start hiring people to come and work for you, which is a major, major step. One of the big things in leveling up is 
first of all, well, I call it the three M's. You've got your mindset, you've got your money and you've got your methodology. And the mindset's the biggest thing because it's it's a confidence booster. And when you're when you've done enough deals of a certain size, then you always feel like you can kind of step up to the next level. But it's never a huge jump. Usually it's kind of incremental. So if you're if the biggest deal you've ever bought is one hundred and sixty thousand then, you know, you're probably going to do your next deal at 200,000 rather than going from 160 to 400,000. It's, you know, it's a big, big leap and it, it, it takes time for the mind to adapt to kind of the different numbers. Eventually, you know, you grow and the 400 becomes 490 and then the, you know, the 490 becomes 600 and then the 600 becomes 800 and, and you kind of incrementally work your way up. If you do a massive, massive jump, you can run into difficulties because first of all, your funding partners, like say, for example, the bank, whatever, they'll see it as too big of a jump maybe and that you may not be ready for it. And I mean, it's all in the mind at the end of the day, but still, it's it's not just your mind. And when I'm talking about mindset, I'm not just talking about your own personal mindset. I'm talking about the mindset of the people that you're dealing with and the possible sort of bias that they might have against you jumping, making those huge leaps. Um, so mindset is obviously a major one that you have to kind of overcome. And that is confidence and that is just experience and getting out there and kind of rolling up your sleeves and doing the work and sort of gaining the knowledge and as you go then obviously money when you when the bigger deals that you do and the more frequent that you do deals the more money that you'll start to accumulate and the bigger the cash flow and cash flow is great because what it allows you to do is start to add team members to your team and that's a critical thing because delegation is a major step and when i go into methodology um part of that whole methodology is actually the, the the hiring part of it because um, when you start to scale up your business when you're leveling up or scaling up you're moving to the next level and you've got to have this attitude that whereas when you start out you're probably going to be doing everything um, and so what I when I was you know starting out as a very beginner I was doing the drawings as the architect, I was designing the stuff, I was meeting the agent, I was meeting the banks, it was, you know, every single aspect of the project was completely at my fingertips. And it's primarily because I didn't have the money to go and hire people to do all those other jobs. But as you get more and more advanced, and as you start putting a bit more money in, you can start to kind of hire people. I remember working really, really long hours and kind of thinking, God, this is a real grind and this is a... You know, this is a pain in the ass. And I, I got to the point where I was making sufficient amount of money to actually think about hiring a full time personal assistant. And um, I can remember thinking to myself, wow, like I can have I think it was around 30 grand or something like that at the time. I can have 30 grand a year income that will be paid to me. And so after tax, that will turn into like 15,000, uh, which is, you know, about a thousand a month. Or I can have all of the free time that hiring this person will actually give me, which maybe is worth more than a thousand a month to you in terms of lifestyle, but also in terms of just moving up and leveling up. And so by hiring that person, I was suddenly able to offload all of the admin, all of the kind of operational stuff, all of the meeting tenants, 
organizing leases, all of that stuff that used to take time and used to kind of like frustrate me a lot of the time. Or organizing like when, when something breaks down, when there's a problem and it needs to be repaired or something like that. All of that was incredibly time consuming when you're trying to work on the bigger stuff. So delegation, uh, hiring somebody. And just so one thing to remember is master, Be a, you want to be a master of nothing but a practitioner of everything. You need to master all of the skills when you're on your way up, because as you understand how to do all of these things, you're going to need to do to be able to do that and sort of train up your team as they start to hire. So you'll know because you're doing all of this stuff. And for example, I used to do my own VAT returns and um, I, you know, it's, it's easy to do. VAT return isn't a difficult thing to do, but it's just hassle. And I can remember at the, you know, the middle of every second month or whatever it was, I'd have to kind of get out all my papers and I'd have to do all my stuff. And I can remember when I hired my PA and she came in, I said, I said, look, here's how you do VAT return. And I showed her how to do it. And that was it. Bang. That was her job now. Um, same with meeting tenants. You know, if, if I needed to rent a property, I didn't go there anymore. I sent her over there and she would do that. And all of that stuff freed me up to start looking at and thinking about the bigger stuff. And what I mean by that is deal origination. And so once you are, once you've freed yourself up, once you have that little bit of income coming in and you've got that person there that can kind of handle all that stuff, then you can get into deal origination. And that is coming up with the opportunities, creating the deals, um, sort of expanding the relationships that you need to do all of that, being resourceful. So, for example, you can spend time meeting with agents and brokers and um, contacts in different businesses and stuff. And by just kind of meeting with them regularly, sort of staying relevant in their minds, you can start to figure out, like, what are the opportunities and you can identify those. And for example, you might, you know, I remember there was a, uh, a business that was, it was an off-license wholesaler and um, they were selling alcohol and all that kind of stuff. And they they were a wholesaler, so they sold it out of like big, huge warehouses to lots of different ones. But they had changed their strategy and they decided that they wanted to have a national um, branch. Uh, like they wanted to have a national, uh, you know, off-license units. They wanted to go from being a warehouse distributor to actually having units in every kind of village, basically, and selling it. So to become a competitor to other off-licenses. And this was really interesting to me um, because suddenly it was like, okay, so I, took, I would take out a map and I'd say, put an X there on the towns that you're interested in, like initially. And he X'd kind of lots of different places. And suddenly I was able to go to those locations and start looking around for vacant units that would actually make for a perfect deal um, for these guys to move into. Um, sometimes they have national strategies that you can actually, you know, figure out what they are looking for. Sometimes they're in an old office and they simply want to get a new office. Sometimes they have maybe, as I did in a project in Dubai, that we were dealing with a, a big corporate occupier who was in six different locations. And they had done that because over the years, as they expanded their operation, they kept they, they had like a, a lease in one place and they couldn't find a big enough place to move to. So they just took a smaller unit elsewhere and they ended up with all these like leases all over the place, five or six of them. And we went into them and we sort of pitched them and said, look, we will build a building 
for you to consolidate all of those different locations and you'll just end up in one single building that is built to your exact specifications that you're looking for. And that was exactly what they wanted. And they wanted to have control over the spec and they wanted to have all these things. All of that was possible. All of that was doable. All we had to do was basically um, work together to identify a location for this property to go. So we went out, scoured the whole kind of Dubai area and we identified two different locations. We went back to them and said, here's location one and here's location two. And they immediately said, location one is the one that we want. And so we went in, negotiated and we bought the land, but we bought the land with the benefit of having a tenant lined up with a fully um, formalized lease in place. Now, it was an agreement to lease because we obviously didn't have the land even at that stage. But these guys had form- entered a formal binding contract to rent a building from us as soon as we built it. And we took that document and we went off to our banks and we managed to raise the money needed to actually finance the purchase of the land and the development of the building. But with that lease document in place, we knew that it was absolutely going to wash its face, that the lease itself created the value that actually funded the entire development. That deal would not have been possible if we were kind of like stuck in the ditches working on the business. You have to be able to kind of free yourself up to work on these kind of bigger picture stuff. Um, these deals and some of the best deals that I did were exactly that kind of way where I had you know you had to work on a creative approach Um, there was a piece of land that I owned um, with a road on it and there was a piece uh, a house came up in the area that actually butted up against this road of mine and I can remember because I had the time to think about it I sat down got out a piece of paper and managed to figure out wow you know I can actually get a new entrance into this this rear garden which otherwise would not have worked for people at the front that were buying the house on its own but when you bought the house with the benefit of this access that i had at the rear it made for a fantastic opportunity and we ended up sort of building four beautiful houses on it and having their own separate entrances and all this i mean this is the kind of thing i'm talking about leveling up you're never going to level up unless you've got your your mindset sorted out and you've got the freedom to go out and sort of explore these deals and spend time on it because being creative requires sort of peace and quiet at times. You need to sit down. You need to kind of free up the time just to sit down and figure these things out. Not always possible. Another way that you can level up is by um, a thing called site assembly. And obviously, you're you know if you're in the market and you're looking to buy a site, and there's a lot of big, huge developers out there. And you're so you're never going to compete with those guys. They have like hundreds of millions at their beck and call and they can buy pretty much anything. However, what you can do is you can identify small, you can identify, say, a nice area that has a good zoning or, you know, the planners are looking to gentrify the area or whatever. And you can start to assemble a site where you buy a property and then the the property next door, you go in and negotiate with the owner and you go and add that on. And then you go to the property next door to that. Now, a lot of the time, the way you do these deals is with a thing called options. And options are a great way of doing it. They can also be considered a slightly expensive way to do it. But to level up, you're not going to level up without taking some risks. And so what I have seen and some of the biggest developers in this country 
have done these amazing deals where you wonder how on earth are they sort of have can they have their fingers in so many different pies but they do it using options so say for example there is a property and these guys will come along and the property is just a farm they will but they see it's you know the farm is adjacent to a planned road that'll open up in 10 years they will go to these guys and they will say i see your farm there um i'd like to buy an option and what do you mean by that you would go in and you would assume a certain value and say look i'm going to give you 50,000 or 100,000 or whatever it is and you're going to sell me this property for its market price but it'll be in 10 years time or in 15 years time and i just want to be the first the only person that you can deal with when that day comes and so the guy is thinking to himself, geez, I can have 50,000 today and I can still continue to farm the land for the next 10 years or whatever. And that's so they go off and they think to themselves, sure, this, that's great. We've got 50 grand. But the long player is sitting there and eventually these deals come good and they sort of walk in and they say, right, I'll buy the property now. Thanks very much. And they, the person can't go and market it to somebody else because they sold the option to this guy 10 years before and that's one really those guys i mean such lucrative deals have been done doing that kind of thing but you've got to have a very very long-term view and this is one of the reasons why having the money is so important because you're not going to be able to do that with borrowed funds because you're talking about 10 years of sitting on that and it's not the kind of thing that you, you know, when you're going to, if you're going to borrow money, you need the income coming in to fund the interest on that money. So you need to do this with clear cash that you've actually made. Obviously, another thing is relationships. Key to this thing is relationships, keeping them warm. And um, and I, I mentioned already agents and all that. And some of the best deals that I've done have come from just basically going out whining and dining friends contacts networking and you just pick up little bits of information around the place and you suddenly say oh that's really interesting such and such is coming up for sale oh, i didn't know that and that's how you can put a deal together um now financing when you're leveling up that's when you also need to make sure that these banking relations that you have have been kept sweet all along and hopefully as you've expanded your borrowing you have remained with the same bank or you've certainly I mean so it's not bad to have a couple of different banks but you've got to make sure that you work with them sufficiently that they're familiar with you and that when you go in and sort of look for some more money that they're not kind of looking at you like you're a complete stranger having the relationship and being able to kind of go in and level up with those guys in there so when they go and speak to their credit committee they can say well no no we we lent to him last year or the year before and he's he's a good um, he's a good operator and blah, blah blah they already kind of know you now you can also look at alternative ways to fund stuff like for example forward funding once you've leveled up you start to get into the area where big um, asset owners are involved so for example if you're able to um, consider buying an apartment building now what everybody's looking at is PRS and that's um private rented accommodation or pure private rented schemes and what that is is we, you know we're actually currently looking at this ourselves is we have planning permission to build uh, i think it's like 105 apartments and instead of going out and 
buying the land and building 105 apartments and then selling it off and having to do 105 different transactions with 105 different tenants or not tenants, buyers and having to work with all of the solicitors and the banks and all that kind of stuff. We simply go to one huge big investor like a pension fund and we say to them, look, you guys are going to want to buy this. There's going to be 105 apartments. And what we'll do is we'll manage it for you and we'll be co-owners in the deal with you. And what they'll do is that looks very good for them. So they'll forward fund the deal. So they will give you a big advance and that will actually allow you to fund all of the operational stuff. And you'll obviously borrow money from the banks as well. But when these guys come in and give you the the balance of the funds, everything gets cleared and you end up being a owner co-owner with a major um, investor and um, the major investor will kind of you know be the person that calls all the shots and stuff like that but you get to own a large share of a 105 apartments instead of owning one or two around the place another thing obviously being a promoter i've done this for many years it can be a difficult enough job at times and um but when you raise investors from when you raise funds from investors, you obviously have to promote the deal. You have to go out there and you have to do all this. So leveling up, I guess, to kind of round off the discussion today, leveling up takes time and skill, but it's well worth the effort. It's not something that you can rush. Um, the decision making process when you're working with these big guys is can be very slow running as well. Sometimes you're dealing with boards of directors, global heads that have to kind of fly in from different countries, obviously. It's a different world now that we're living in, but the bigger and more complex the deal, the greater the risks. And, and don't forget, you've got you know a lot of different risks out there. You've got financial risk, economic risk, market risk, letting risk, construction risk, timing risk. All of these risks all play into the hands of the um, of the big investors. And you want to make sure that you've done enough of these deals that you don't look like a green a kind of just you know somebody who's out of their depth you want to make sure that you've got some good experience that you can demonstrate that you're well within your capability to do that so that's it guys that's it for episode number 38 of behind the facade thank you so much for listening as always my number one ask is that you just share this episode out with one friend and leave a rating five star if you can and um, and a review over on itunes or wherever you listen to podcasts as i mentioned before really helps to get the podcast noticed and since i joined i'll tell you something since i joined clubhouse i've been clicking on the profiles of different um people and as i click on them it seems everybody has got a podcast everybody is a podcast host and so i start to think to myself geez you know <laughs> how on earth do you get noticed when like literally dozens of people are out there in the property space with property podcasts so one of the ways that you can help me with that is to um to get it noticed is to leave a review is to give it the five star rating and is to just share it out with a friend if you get a chance uh, if you have any more questions if you want to contact me obviously the place to look at is the facebook group behind the facade community or alternatively you'll find me on social media using the handle gavin j gallagher and that's the very same handle that i am now using over on clubhouse and again i'm going to be doing monday wednesday and friday at one o'clock i'm going to be doing a live q a or i'll be doing some sort of a talk through clubhouse and you'll be able to join me live there 
and participate in the discussion and i'll be bringing in various guests and stuff like that so that's it guys remember if you want to catch up on events and all that kind of stuff you can sign up to my newsletter and my email list that is gavinjgallagher.com forward slash go all right guys hope you had a great week uh hope you're going to have a great week because it's monday when you listen to this and so um, i'll catch you all very soon take care mm-hmm.